the one thing we didn't touch on in our bulletins today was the middle of the one about the selfie directory. Brenda Adamick, I don't know how long I've worked with her now, but I'll tell you what, this was the best idea she ever came up with. We were, the request went out that we need to update our, our pictorial directory. And the last time we did it, we used the St. Valentine's Day approach, you know, line them up against the wall and shoot them, and all the pictures look the same. So Brenda said, I really like that some people weren't there for that, and they sent their own in. And in fact, Randy and Susie, you were the ones who she pointed out in our old pictorial directory that you sent your own in, and she said it has so much more character to it. It tells you something about them. It comes alive. I really like when they sent their own in. And the light went on, and it's like, why don't we just do, rather than bring in a professional organization, let's just do a selfie directory and let people submit their own pictures. What a great idea, because then they will have some character, some sense of the things that matter to you. And I know what you're all thinking. You immediately go, we don't have pictures of ourselves, and I'm going to argue with you. I'm going to say, yes, you do. You know where they are? They're in your phones. And they were taken exactly where life has been happening for you. For instance, Paul, show us this. There's some people who have traveled, okay? If you're Stovey and, and, uh, and Paul Hansen, you were up at Lone Peak in the course of the last week and a half, and you were having a great time. Now, I don't recommend you guys put your pictures together in the directory. My point is, we got pictures in our phones, right? All right, somebody else went out west in the course of the last... Oh, look at this. All right, Dave and Leanne, we got Brian here. Isn't that just lovely? Look at... These are way better, aren't, it? aren't they, than everybody up against the wall. But not everybody went west. Some people went south and east. For example, look at the Wickstrom family. Isn't that lovely in Jamaica, man, huh? So here's a great picture that they could just submit, and then we have, you know, some interesting things there. And there's other pictures of people who went south and east. Now, wait a second. There's no people in that. Wait, put that back up. Oh, I know what this was. This took place a week ago. And if you look right here, you can't see it, and we're not going to close in on it. This happens to be on the beach in Clearwater. And this little row of petals and candles, and this thing has pictures on it, and right here it says, Will you marry me? And another picture is in our phones, where Felix who was here, you will recall, in January, if you saw them. And she just now, Danae just now saw what was there. And she's catching on that this is the moment. And so there's another picture that is in our phones. And this is from on the other side of that as they've now moved down the pedals. And he's talking to her. And these are the buildings along the beach in the back. There's another picture in our phone, which we know. And he is on one knee. And you might be guessing from her expression that, um, well, we'll let the other picture show you. That she said Yes. Okay, and, and as he waved that, all these people who were around were all cheering like you just did. It was really a fun moment, people, but these are all in our phone, right? And there's another picture of them. Isn't that lovely now? With the sunset and the boat in the back, and they're in our phone, okay? And then I think there's one more, and this was all of us who happened to be at that scene as part of our party, and it was a great time. So now Lori and I, if we chose, we could crop this, right? Right here. And we could do that. It would work great. I tried it, okay? The problem is, because we're trying to get near Denea, 
she's leaning into Denea and Felix and away from me, and it looks like, oh, yeah, she's trying to avoid me again. All right, it's like, no, 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 no. So that one won't work for us. But they're in your phone, aren't they? Go through your phones. You may already have pictures. You go, this really represents us well. Thank you, Paul. I appreciate that. And uh, we can get a wonderful selfie directory put together. Now, I start talking about pictures for two reasons. One, I just wanted to show you the pictures of us in Florida, okay? That was fun. But two, as we come to the book of Judges, we really are being given a picture in the last five chapters of Judges. The book is kind of an interesting book in that for the first 16 chapters, there's this repeated cycle that takes place in the book of Judges. And what is happening is the people of God, the Israelites, they rebel and they walk away from the things of God. And in order to get their attention, God allows some outside group to come and oppress them. And in the midst of this oppression, they realize, oh, we messed up. So they call out in repentance to God, and God sends them a deliverer. And that deliverer is known as a judge. And he gives them victory over their oppressors, and for a time, things are good. And as you read the book, you realize we keep watching this cycle come through time and time again. So that's for 16 chapters. But when you get to chapter 17 until the end of the book, that whole cycle just goes away. And actually, what the writer does, the writer gives us word pictures because they didn't have cell phones that took pictures yet. They still were using just flip phones, and they, you couldn't get a picture on that, see. So that's where they were at, and... The only way to draw this picture that could be disseminated was in words. And that's what we're going to see today. Now, in order to cover five chapters, we're clearly not going to be able to read five chapters. But I would like to start at the beginning of chapter 17. And like you, this is one of those days, just relax. There's only one verse is going to come up on the screen. So just relax and listen for a while. You can go back and read these five chapters this afternoon if you uh, would like and kind of get a better sense as to what we're talking about. But chapter 17 begins with this. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim. And, this, and please understand, as you're reading along through chapter 16, we just got done reading about Samson. Woo, big victory of Samson, big strong guy, right? And then this comes on. It's like this totally different element of the book tagged on at the end. Now, there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, here is the silver with me. I took it. And his mother said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my son. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a molded image. Now, therefore, I will return it to you. Thus he returned the silver to his mother. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver, gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and a molded image, and they were in the house of Micah. The man Micah had a shrine 
and made an ephod. Now, an ephod is, a, is a, uh, an apparel that the priests wore as they came into, into the tabernacle. Uh, he made an ephod, and he had household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. And then we get this statement, which will explain what's going on through these five chapters. And this is our our verse for today. So, Paul, if you want to put that up. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Four times before we get to the end of the book, we're going to see that stated again. Right here, chapter 18, verse 1, chapter 19, verse 1, and at the very end of these five chapters, we're going to be told that there's no king in Israel. There is no focal point of legal authority, of civil authority, of organizing things, so that everybody was getting on the, on the same page. There was none of this. And in fact, the people were somewhat unrestrained. Because there was no governing, clear picture. This is who is enforcing what we need to be doing. And so what we wind up with for the next five chapters is a picture, word picture, if you will, of when man is unrestrained. We're going to see what happens in this context. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And that full verse will be repeated in 21-25 again, with only the first part of the verse repeated in chapters 18 and 19. So, you see where we're going with this? Just like I showed you a whole bunch of pictures of what was happening in different people's lives in the course of the last couple weeks. We're going to be shown pictures of here's what was going on in people's lives. They don't really directly connect to what had taken place before, but these five chapters just sit there to say, These are the conditions that existed among God's people at this time. Very really, they jump out at us. And here's what we will learn. When man is unrestrained, he doesn't paint a pretty picture. Did you notice at the outset of chapter 17, already we're scratching our heads and going, now, what's going on here as it's being recorded What are we being told this is what life is like among God's people at this time? It begins with this account of a guy who stole from his mother 1,100 shekels of silver. And then he's going to return the silver because he had heard she'd put a curse on it and, and all this stuff. And he felt guilty, so he returns it. And she says, well, God bless you, my son, because that silver was for you anyways. Here's what I had dedicated that silver to. I'm going to have a carved image made and covered with the silver, and I'm going to have a molded image made, and they will become your idols for in your home. God bless you for returning it. Do you see the disconnect here, friends? And so she has him, she has these, takes the silver, takes it to the silversmith. The silversmith fashions these idols for her son. She then returns them to her son. He now sets up a little shrine in his home because he has his own idols. He has an ephod made, which is a priestly garment. He consecrates his own son, his son, to be a priest Sets him out, you will be the priest in my household who has no place being a priest. 
because the Levites were to carry that role. It's crazy what is happening. And that's why the writer tells us at this point, in this day there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And this seemed right. Do you see what they've mixed in immediately? They've mixed in with the worship of Yahweh, the God who delivered them from the Egyptians, the God who brought them into Israel. They have already mixed in the worship of idols. And somehow, because every man does what's right in his own eyes, it all seems fine. It's all good because we're doing what we're feeling, man. We're going with the flow. It's just wonderful the way this works. It's crazy time. So the story continues on. And the next part of the story is there's a Levite who's looking for work. If things aren't working for him as well as they need to be back in Jerusalem around the tabernacle, so what's he done? He's gone off, and he's looking to find some other place to make a living. These guys find out that this guy's a true Levite. He goes, hey, even better. I'll make you my priest. And he puts him on salary. And he's going to have this priest in his own house, and, and, and his own, this priest in his house with this ephod that he had made is now going to serve in his shrine with these pagan idols, as well as before. The God of Israel, of course. This guy thinks he is in a great place. Because here's how chapter 17 ends. Then Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. I've got my own Levite here. Again, you go, this is craziness. I've got a Levite. Well, if you were to go back and understand what God did with the Levites... Why do we even have the Levites? Because God used them to replace the firstborn that God put a claim on of every one from the Passover. So he said, rather than each one of you give me your firstborn, I'm going to take this tribe of the Levites. The Levites are mine. And this guy's like, oh, I got my own Levite now. No, the Levites are God's. Nobody owns the Levites. But everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes, so this works. Why not? And so the story continues. Because another side story that's going on at this time is the tribe of Dan needs to relocate. And as they're going about relocating, they come across this Levite. And they say, they recognize who he is. They know he's a Levite. They say, dude, come with us. It's better that you be a Levite over an entire tribe and you have more people to serve than serve this one guy and his family. Who wants to serve in a small place? Let's talk big. There's an entire tribe of us, and we could use our own Levite. He thinks this is a better deal, right? I guarantee you, the guys who serve in bigger churches and in, in large cities, they get paid more than those of us who serve out here, right? So he's going, dude, there's a lot more money to be made in this one. I, I can get a much better salary out of this deal. And so he gladly now goes along with them. The first guy who hired him on, Micah, uh, finds out that not only is his Levite leaving, they've gone into his house and they've stolen his idols. So now he's losing both his Levite and he's losing his idols. So he gets some guys together. They go out to confront these guys, although they don't have anywhere near enough men. And they go out to confront these guys. They say, hey, dude, what are you doing? And it's like, dude, we're taking him. Yeah, but he's mine. Yeah, well, go home. 
if you don't want anything bad to happen to you. And they threaten him with just, we'll take you out of the picture right now if need be. Because there was no king in Israel and every man did what was right in his own eyes. So you've got this ridiculous picture of this Levite who just sells himself off for the sake of making some money here because he's got this claim to be in a Levite and eventually goes along with the people from Dan. That's one picture that is given to us in the chapters 17 and 18. Then we get to chapter 19. Totally different picture now is going to be given to us. Another word picture, another story to tell us here's what life is like at a time when everybody does what's right in their own eyes. Another Levite is on the scene, and he decides to gather for himself a concubine. And so he gets this woman who serves as his wife, and there comes a point she decides, I'm not liking this very much, so she goes back to her father's household. She actually, in the text, Lee just believes, carries out the role of a harlot. A few months after that, he decides, I think I want her back. Goes to his father-in-law's household, puts a claim on, his, on the father's daughter, want to take my wife back. Father says, hey, let's hang out, hang out here for a little bit. So they do a few days of drinking and partying. So well, finally the guy goes, I got to get back. So now he takes his wife and the dad can no longer get him to, to just to hang on there. And they're traveling back to the Levite's hometown. Comes to Jerusalem, but at this point, Israelites don't control Jerusalem. He says, this doesn't feel safe. So he goes to a town of Gibeah. In the town of Gibeah, where they're going to spend the night, he's looking for a place to, where the fellow Jews were supposed to bring each other into their home. He can't find anybody, and he's going to have to sleep with his concubine out in the square. Well, another older guy comes through and goes, that's not safe. I'll take you into my own house. So, takes the Levite and the concubine into his house in order to keep him protected as to not just sleeping out in the public square during, uh, during the night. However, there's other men of Gibeah who have learned that this guy was there looking for a place. So these guys then come, and they come to the old man's house and send, send out the man that was here, the Levite that was here. Send him out, because effectively... Think jail, okay? Bad things happen among men in jail. And if you're weak in jail, that's not a good thing. That's what's going to happen. They want him to come out because they're going to uh, very physically, immorally abuse this guy. Well, that's pretty ugly, but it doesn't end there. Because the old man says, look... (laughs) He can't do this. He came into my house. I've offered him protection. I'm obligated to protect him. So tell you what I'll do. I've got a virgin daughter. He's got a concubine. We'll send them out to you. Do what you will with them. Turns out the concubine gets put out. The men gang rape her throughout the night. In the morning, she barely makes it back to the doorstep of the old man. Her husband comes out to get her and he calls to her and she doesn't get up, it says. She's dead. They have so abused her. She's dead. He's pretty angry. What would you do in that case? Here's what he did. He cut her body up into 12 pieces and sent one piece to each of the 12 tribes and said, this is what was done by the men of Gibeah 
to my concubine. What are you going to do about it? Well, they know that that can't fly. So they gather an army out of these groups of people. And they come, and they now put pressure upon the men of Gibeah. Say, look, you guys need to, you guys need to uh, give up those guys who did this horrible thing. We can't have this happening in Israel. Well, these people were part of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin comes along and says, nope, we're going to protect our guys. Too bad that that guy lost his concubine, but we're going to protect our guys. Civil war ensues. The people of the other tribes, the big number of tribes, they come before the Lord and say, should we, should we go into battle with these, these men from Benjamin? Our brothers, our fellow Israelites, should we go into battle with them? God says, yes, go into battle. They go into battle, they lose thousands of people, have to retreat. Huh, that's not what we were expecting. Next day, try it again. Come before the Lord. Should we go into battle? God says, yep, go into battle. They go into battle the next time. Lose thousands more. Come back and retreat. Now they're a little confused. God, you told us twice. I think, personally, I just think God is bringing a judgment on the nation. Is what he's doing. For how things are, as every man does what's right in his own eyes. Do we dare go again? Yeah, go again. This time I'm going to deliver them into your hands. So, they send in a crowd a third time now to defeat the Benjamites. They kill thousands of the Benjamites. Pretty much wipe them out. Wipe out the people of, that, uh, of, of their, their wives, their kids. They're gone. And then they go, whoops, we got a problem. Without women to propagate for these men, guess what? The name of our brother Benjamin is going to die out. Well, we can't have that. So what are we going to do to get wives for these guys? So they then attack another city, kill the people in that city, take all the young virgins, bring them for these guys so they can continue the name of Benjamin on, but they're short a few hundred virgins. So they had made, they had made a vow among themselves that none of them would give their, would give their daughters to the, um, to the Benjamites. That was part of the vow. It's like, we are not going to let them continue on. That was, that was earlier, and I forgot to mention that. So... They need a few more hundred virgins. What do you do now? Well, there was one town of guys who didn't come to the battle. One town. They said, well, here, they never made that vow. They're, they're still Israelites. They didn't make the vow to not give their, their sons to their daughters. So effectively they went in and they stole the wives from these fellow people saying, uh, yeah, they never made the vow anyway. So we haven't broken our vow. It's a horrific time. And it ends with this statement where it began. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. For five chapters, we're given two horrific pictures as to how they had become so degraded. And that's why we say when man is unrestrained, he doesn't paint a pretty picture. First, his beliefs get squirrely. We're thanking God that this silver has been returned so that we can make pagan idols and set up a shrine 
and then bring in one of God's priesthood people to serve in the shrine with the pagan idols. This is craziness what is going on. But it seems to make sense to them because they're doing what's right in their own eyes. And when you get to define it, when I get to define what's right and wrong, when I get to define truth, particularly moral truth, <laughs> who's to argue with me because I'm the one who can define it? So their beliefs got squirrely. And once when our beliefs get squirrely, our behavior follows. And it gets squirrely also. So we see people not only entering into paganism and mixing it in with the worship of Yahweh, the creator God who delivered them from Egypt, but we see people raping and murdering as if it's just what we need to do and it's all okay. Because everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. My friends, you really need to read these five chapters for yourself today and understand I have not exaggerated what took place. But you see, it's there for a purpose. The purpose is to point out what we as human beings are like when we are unrestrained. It's what we become when there is no knowledge of God that is, that is orienting us to life, that is informing life for us, that is clarifying for us what really is right and what truly is wrong so that we step away from this and we step into this and we go, I can live in wholeness over here and over here it's just going to destroy me. We need something to point that out because we will always, given enough time as people, we will always digress into that which is ugly, that which is violent, that which is where power reigns. How do we know this? This isn't the first time we're given an account like this, is it? Go back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. There is no ruling entity. And by Genesis 6, 11, and 13, we find out that violence has filled the earth so that God's got to cleanse the entire earth. Man did it once before, and man is in the process of doing it during this time frame. Fortunately, there, God is intervening with his people now as, he, as redemptive history is being worked out. But when man is unrestrained, he doesn't paint a pretty picture. And that's true for all of us. It holds true to this day and age, friends. Each one of us is every bit as capable of behaving this way. And given the, right, given the right context, we would all move right into it, which tells us one very significant truth. It tells us why we need Christ. Evan picked out a great song for us to sing this morning about putting away the idols, right? About living pure lives. Learning and understanding how to separate ourselves from this stuff that is garbage and ugly. So, friends, here's, here's just what I'm thinking. just want to share a very simple thought. If we don't have some focusing point for ourselves, we go this way. That's the point of these pictures. And they're not pretty pictures. So how do we keep things focused? You know, God has provided some very simple things for us if we're willing to engage them. 
first of all, he's given us his word, plain and simple. We're trying to remind ourselves again by having scripture memory in these cards. To remind ourselves and say, we need to be in the word. We need to get this into our lives. Because this will give us a focus, and this will give us an understanding. And this will help us to to discern that which is garbage and will destroy us, and that which will bring us into life. Okay, we need to be able to discern that. The Word will help us understand that. That's number one. It's another thing that He's given us to help us move in this process. It's called the body of Christ. Ephesians speaks of how we need one another and we're placed in proximity to one another so that we can minister to one another till we all come to maturity, so we all stay on track, so we all come to Christ-likeness. May I encourage each of us to to ask this question, how am I getting into the Word regularly and how is this getting into me? That's important. But also, am I taking advantage that I have got people in the body of Christ around me. And maybe I work well in a, group of, in a classroom setting where I'll have 20 people around me and we'll discuss and be in the Word together. Maybe I'm the kind of person, I was just talking with somebody two days ago, and they're looking, they're looking to get together with just a couple of other men. Four max, he said. Well, we can get down and get really honest with each other about what God's doing in our lives and the things we're struggling with. Maybe that's how we are wired But I'm just asking us to raise this simple question. How are we taking advantage of these things readily available to us to help us keep our lives focused? Because I promise, when each of us does what is right in our own eyes, we eventually paint pictures that are not pretty. If you say, I have no place to connect with this, can I just encourage you one thing? Because we're trying something different. We're trying something new on Wednesday nights. It takes place right here. Got a wana going on in here and detour going out there. A lot of great stuff happening in the church. But if you're not involved in a wana or detour, what we're doing every Wednesday night, we're just stepping into this room over here. We start about 7.45. And we're going to discuss whatever the text was and the passage was of the previous Sunday. So this Sunday, we'll be talking about this more right here. But what's going to happen there? It's the body is going to come together. It's not about Gary just flapping his lips more about this. It's the body weighing in and helping each other to understand and to gain and grow from, each, from one another because God has ordained that to happen. Two simple things in the Word, in the Word with God's people will help us immensely to paint a pretty picture for our lives. Father, thank you. Thank you for the joy of being together. Thank you for the fellowship we have in Jesus Christ. Lord, we're broken and hurting people. We need your word to inform us every day to continually to transform our thinking. And Father, we need each other as you've designed that we are to build into one another's lives. And I pray that, that all of us will receive this, this probing question today. To, to clarify that we are indeed letting your word seep into our being and letting your people minister into our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.